Out of options? Crushed because of a crisis? Nothing to live for? Doesn't sound like holidays, does it? Although, if you look at research, it shows that Christmas holidays are some of the worst possible times for people. They've lost hope, and they see everybody around them with hope that's somewhat fake. They're happy, they're joyful about the situation of Christmas, but they're out of options. They're crushed because of a crisis or more than one. Death-like, really, nothing to live for. So today our, our message is about hope, and it comes from an odd scripture, which we'll talk about in just a moment. But it's important that you realize that hope is something that people have, and you may, and a lot of people don't. But they live on from expectation to expectation to expectation to expectation without really ever thinking about the fact that there's no hope anywhere in between all of those. They're just living from experience to experience. We're going to look at the prophet Ezekiel, and he was a priest and a prophet in Jerusalem. There were only two other people in the Bible that were both priests and prophets, and he was an important one, a major prophet in Scripture. People avoid his book, but don't. Very exciting. He was taken to Babylon during one of the phases of the exile. This was an exile spoken about for many, many years. The people had lots of warning, lots, years and years and years, generations of warning, but they refused to listen. So his ministry as a prophet lasted 22 years of fighting against rebellion for the most part. The last few years were a little different. We'll talk about that. Most of the time he was predicting that Jerusalem would fall, that the temple would be demolished. For years and years he prophesied this, but when the news came to the people that lived in Babylon in exile, when the news came that it actually had happened, that Jerusalem fell, that the temple had been destroyed, they fell into hopelessness. Their rebellion turned to resignation that there is really nothing to live for. If there is no temple, there is no place to sacrifice. If there is no sacrifice, there's no covering of sin. If there's no covering of sin, you're living eternally without God. It was a big deal to them. People out of options, crushed by the crisis of exile, death-like, nothing to live for. So today we continue our Advent series, preparing our hearts to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And as usual at Westchester Chapel, we're looking at it from a little different perspective. The birth story in Matthew and Luke is not what we're looking at. The Lord led us to the book of Ezekiel, not the standard book you would think of for a Christmas message, but that's why you like it here at Westchester Chapel. For one reason, to give us a different look at the story. That's the reason the Lord brought us here, really, to look beyond our expectations of the Christmas season, which honestly many of us do and many of us have for years and years and years. Expectations of the holiday. And we're being called to give those over to him this year so he can change our hearts, cleanse us, give us hearts of flesh and not stone, to see the story of Christ's birth in a brand new way. So as much as our culture is doing in pursuing the holiday of delight around us, where we live. They called for things like, you know what, let's decorate our decks for Christmas. And then we'll have a contest. Oh boy, a contest. And 
it seemed to me so silly. Not that decoration is bad, nothing wrong with decorating, nothing wrong with the things of the season that we do as, as humans, but many people have gone to the point where this is all they have. They live for this. So we're being asked to add a changed heart to our holiday season that we would normally go about in any normal way, which is fine, but to add this changed heart so that we see things a little differently. And you'll see people a little differently, you'll see your relatives a little differently, and there'll be a witness there, hopefully, of a changed life. A new expectation, a view of the manger that transforms us. So open to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, and we're gonna take a close look at these scriptures. Last week, Pastor Rachel told us about the need to be cleansed, to prepare for the season. So if you look at Ezekiel 36, 26, Ezekiel begins to tell the people what the Lord will do for them. He says, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statute and be careful to obey my rules. This is good news. This is wonderful news, but not something they could latch on to. Remember, these were a people that had pursued idol worship and abused their rights as God's people and were in total rebellion. Yet the Lord in his compassion is promising a brand new life for them, filled with hope. It's worth noting, by the way, here, that the Lord, even though rebellion happens over and over and over again with his people, he continues to come back to get them, continues to come back to promise them a new life through the prophets, usually. Prophets come to kind of tear everything down. And then the prophet comes back and says, here's what God's promises are for you, if you would just obey. So in Ezekiel 36, 26, the Lord makes these unbelievable promises to the people who are rebellious and now they're humbled. There is in 36, 31, if you look down just a little farther, there's a realization of their sin. So there's some things starting to happen to change the way they live, to change their hearts. One is God's promises are there for us to see and to accept. There's a realization of the sin in our lives so that we can be cleansed. So what did he promise in all of these verses all the way down through 36, 36? We're gonna just look at these real quickly. I'm just gonna read them for you. These are the things that God is giving to them. A new heart to replace the heart of stone. He put a new spirit in them that they would be brought back to the land, to have their land back. That grain and food would be abundant, that there'd be no famine in the land. These are unbelievable promises for people that lived with famine, who were taken from their land. The spirit they felt, the Lord, his presence, was nowhere to be found. The cities that were once abandoned are now inhabited. The land would be so fruitful, it says, they would call it the Garden of Eden. Wonderful. In short, the land that had become completely desolate, he promised to completely restore. So in 36, 36, you need to see that piece. He says, then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places, replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it. The first thing we're learning about hope through this, and we'll learn more. The first thing is this. God says it, 
and he's offering it. He's saying, I'll do this. These are the things I'll do for you. Question remains, what will we do with what he's promising? It's not a guarantee. It's a turn toward this heart that will then say, I want God's promises. This is what I desire. I want what he's giving me. These people were not sure that they wanted that. After all of these promises, if you look at 37.11, so chapter 37.11, we're going to go across to another set just for a moment. The people were saying this. If you take a look at these scriptures, then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. And we'll talk about the bones in just a minute. It says, behold, here's what they're saying. So after all these promises, these people are saying this. Our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Our bones are dried up. They were feeling, they had this idea that their whole self, their body, their emotions were sapped of vitality. No energy, lifeless feeling, total depression. It says our hope is lost. This points to this uh, hope of change. It is is dead. They're, they are out of options. I remember being at Michigan my junior year and being totally hopeless. It's, I don't feel like I was like that much at growing up, but I was out of money. My father was sick with heart issues. I couldn't get to see him. Uh, school was hard. It required a lot of me there, a lot of time, a lot of effort lot of study and I was doing the best I could through it. My comfort came from Linda who did have some hope but I felt like there was no options for me. It also says here we are indeed cut off. It refers to this loss of life. They were reduced to a death-like state crushed by their exile experience. Now I paint this picture for you which is different and odd and this rebellion that they had lived with against God, attitude of self that they had lived with against God, was pushing the Lord away. He's trying to promise them these promises. They are saying we still feel dried up, lost, cut off. These people were still rebelling. Linda and I have two different methods of walking our dog, and we talk about this frequently. We have the method that that she uses, which is really way too hard for our tiny small dog. It's a special collar she has. It has a name. I don't even know the name of it. It's a special collar though that doesn't like tighten up around the the dog's neck permanently. It kind of does it as you need it so that you can get them to where they go if they don't want to go because they're rebellious. Even our small dog is rebellious. And it kind of like pulls the dog over. No, I don't use that method. I use the, the harness which is kinder. It's a kinder, gentler way to lead your dog, in my opinion. So I put that on there. Now, does the dog walk for me very well? (laughs) No. The harness does nothing more than give her something to pull against when she doesn't want to go anywhere. But Linda's method, with just a small tug, has the dog going exactly where he's supposed to go. This is this picture of rebellion. The Lord's doing something to get their attention, to drag them back, but it's not in my method. He's promising them everything. It's Linda's method. Let's give them a little tug in a direction. They were depressed. They were hopeless. They were crushed. So after all the promises and restoration, God gave them a different way to see the situation. 
So turn to Ezekiel 37.1. The Lord had to use a picture that would have been very, very disturbing to people. It happens in Scripture off and on, everywhere. There's, there's these stories that are like, we go, okay, I've read it a million times. I kind of know what's happening here. To these people in this culture, horribly disturbing. And I'll tell you about that. But first, I'm going to have Linda sing us a song. And you know this song. And so you can sing along. Don't turn on the mic, though, because Pastor Rachel is hosting, and it'll be very confusing. But I'm going to ask Linda to sing a small piece of this song that you know from your childhood. Them bones, them bones, them dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. The knee bone connected to the some other bone. <laughs> Do you know that song? Yeah, right? You hear that as a child, Sunday school classes, and it was everywhere, common culture. That's not what we're looking at here today. That's not the picture. If we look at it in context, that's the picture we have of this. So God's wanting to change our hearts the way we see things as well. He wanted the people to see hope, the power of transformation. That's what he wanted people to see. That's what some of us need, probably all of us in some way. It's what our relatives need. The use of this picture by Ezekiel is horrific. It's of a horrific battle where the army lost. They were slain. Even mentions that in scripture. Tells us right in this story that they were slain. It wasn't just bones. So let me read to you the story and this that you could track along with me. If you have a, your Bible open, it'll make, you know, help you to be able to see the words. 37.1, the hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down, it says, in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones and he led me around them, among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley and behold, they were very, very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And this is where, by the way, if God ever asks you a question like that, you just say, uh, only you know, Lord, uh, only you know. <laughs> so you know what to say. And I answered, only you know, God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the word of the Lord of these bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live and I will lay sinews upon you, cause flesh to come upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So what did Ezekiel do? He did what he was commanded. I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, this is in verse 7, there was a sound and behold a rattling. That gives me the, the creeps every time I hear that. I don't know if it does that to you, but every time I hear that, that's the first thing that was heard from these bones is this rattling of them coming together, bone to bone. And I looked and behold, there were sinews on them. These are just appearing on the bones as Ezekiel is watching. Now remember, he was brought there with the pressure of the Lord's hands, it said in 37.1, right? The spirit was there. Two signs, by the way, that this is initiated from God. It also is signs that he's an authoritative prophet with credentials. The hand of the Lord on him and the spirit with him. So something to be believed because God is making this happen. So he sees the sinews on top of the bone. The flesh had come upon it, the, the muscles, the skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. So just at the point where you, this is just horrible enough, 
God makes it even more dramatic by adding a second part. So what are they looking at now? He's looking at corpses, as far as the eye can see in this valley. Dead corpses that had been killed in battle. The people hearing this would have been appalled. Ezekiel was appalled. A priest, you don't walk among the dead. Defiling. They would have said, "What? Well, how is this priest walking among the dead? So Ezekiel is reporting what he saw. So in this second piece, there was no breath. And in verse 9, he said, to Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain. There's the word slain, so we know it was a battle scene. And they may live. So I prophesied that he commanded me. And the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. So this is where we have to suspend our thought of this child's song and realize these are dead corpses left unburied, which was horrible in that culture, uh, rotting in the sun, being eaten by wild animals. That's the picture, the reality of it. But God had a purpose for one of the most dramatic pictures in Scripture, the picture of utter destruction. These bones could not have been more dead, utterly without life. They could not have been any more dead than what Ezekiel saw them being, destroyed. And on top of everything else, they had lost the battle. They were just left there. It's a picture of their lives during rebellion, by the way, struggling, fighting against God like the walking dead. They, they had no hope. They had nothing to live for. They were fighting and fighting and fighting against God in a battle that they cannot win, as we do often in our lives, something we really want, something we refuse to do, a battle you cannot win. Hope is gone, joy is gone. The ultimate source, why are they gone in these situations? Because the ultimate source of hope and joy is God. He provides that, he wanted to give that to these people, they refused. Don't complain to God that you don't have the joy and the hope that you want. It's available, it's a promise. Often it comes from us refusing the Lord in our lives in some way. But then God directs Ezekiel to this question. He says, only you know. He prophesies to the bones. What's the point? Well, this, this kind of restoration of life, of hope, is completely impossible. It's completely impossible. God wants the people to see that this is not doable. This kind of restoration is just not doable. You know what? A new heart. You know what? You can't see a new heart. Maybe by a person's actions. But you get a new heart, replace the stone heart with this flesh heart. You can't see it. This is a picture of something that's totally beyond belief. Bones rattling, coming together, flesh appearing. There was never a worse scene than this for these people. But the Lord had a purpose. So he adds to the drama, prophesies to the breath. They stand an exceedingly great army. In 37.13, which is at the end of this story, he sums it up. His application is, is summed up. I will open your graves, raise you from your graves, O my people. I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. He re repeats the same things he said to them before, but this story was in between. 
the story of this unbelievable restoration, that God is the only one who can do this. How often do we struggle around trying to figure out how to change somebody in our life? Struggle, fighting, God's the only one. It cannot be done by you. Well, I, I can pray, I can You can do all kinds of things. Pray, absolutely pray. Absolutely speak to them about Jesus as the Lord directs you. Do everything you know to do. The transformation's not coming from you. Only the Lord can bring the transformation. Only he can bring the hope and the joy that you want in that person's life. Maybe people you've been in battle with your whole life. People you've been in battle with your whole life. You can't change them. You know what? You couldn't change yourself. God had to even come and do that. And he's still in the process. And at Westchester Chapel, we're constantly encouraging God, or you, all of us, to allow God to do this. And you know what? Wonderfully you do, because he's not done with any one of us. But I want to show you another scripture quickly as we <laughs> that ties together these two pieces in the Old Testament. Isaiah connects the birth of Jesus to being a restored hope for life. Isaiah chapter 9. I think most of you know this, but just in case you don't, whenever there's a prophecy, a prediction like this in Scripture that refers to, seems to refer to directly to Jesus and his birth, it does. But it also refers to something that was happening at the time. That's the way prophecy works. The people in this context were not thinking to themselves, oh, Jesus is being born. They had a different context of what this meant. But looking at it from our side and going back, we can see the connection. So I want to just look at this real quickly because this is the Christmas story for us. This is the Christmas story with hope. This is what we're supposed to see. It's not a celebration of Christmas. It's a celebration of Jesus. There's a big difference. So in these verses, we go to Isaiah 8, 21. This is their rebellion. This is what Isaiah is talking about to these people that pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry. They will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God. This is their rebellion. Part of it, just like it was people in Ezekiel's time. They would turn their faces upward, meaning they would be basically shaking their fist at God. And they would look down to earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. It's that picture of no hope whatsoever. Just totally no hope. Now, I've been dealing with things in my own life for many years and, and uh, in various ways, some of them to the point where I had to stop ministry for a little while to get a handle on what was happening in my life. And so I do know a deeper hopelessness. And I do know the only way out of it was with the Lord. There was nothing I could do. People were telling me, Jim, oh, by the way, this is going on. And I was going, oh, yeah, okay, sure, sure. But it was going on in my life. The Lord had to reveal it, and then he had to fix it. So these people who had walked in darkness in 9-2... It says they've seen a great light. And those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. So the first thing we see in this is hope. This is not pointing to a season. This is not pointing to 
a celebration of a holiday, uh, by the way, is Holy Day. This is not pointing to that. It's pointing to a person. And that's one of the things the Lord wants us to do for this season, is it's not the season at all. We're reveling in the birth of God on earth. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, filled with hope. This is the first thing it does. You've multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you. Joy, happiness, this feeling that is beyond what we can normally muster up, although happiness is used in Scripture in the meaning of this word. It is happy. You are happy. Joy. We are rejoicing. There's a party to be had because of Jesus coming to the land, coming to the earth. They're glad when they divide the spoils. See, now they're victors. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken it on the day of Midian. So there's this release of pressure. Life has an ease to it. Not that everything is easy, but an ease to it because God is now the one who is doing the breaking. He's shouldering the issues. He's taking on the burden. We'll see that even more in just a moment. Did every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood, it's a picture of battle, will be burned as fuel for the fire. All the equipment used, burned for the fire. Not used anymore for battle. Not fighting anymore. You're laying down your weapon, your anger, your intensity to fight against God in some way in your life, and you're saying, I'm not going to be in that battle anymore. I refuse. I now want to be what God wants me to be, do what God wants me to do. And so at the end, why, why is all of this? Why, did all, why are all these things here? And it's found in 9.6, for to us a child is born. That's the reason. It doesn't say... Uh, the reason this is all here, for us, a season has appeared in Westchester. It's a child is born, and a son is given. Who, by the way, gave this son? The Father sent Jesus to earth. He was given to us. It's a gift. And why is this important? Because it's not about a season. It's about real hope, and it's real hope based on who this child really is. And if you look, it's right here. 9, 6, the government's going to be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And then the same as Ezekiel, look what it says. The zeal of the Lord. The Lord will do this. Same thing in Ezekiel. Why the issues that we have with this season and putting it in the wrong picture of a season, of a time of year that is all about everything, possibly, at least in our culture, everything other than Jesus. So for most of us, that's not the case. He is there. He is at the center. And occasionally we can let the culture get in there and challenge us. Family get in there and challenge us. A number of years ago, I started doing something that I, I just really felt strongly to do, is that as our family gathered, especially when Rebecca was born, 
I was not going to have Christmas morning unless I read the, read, read the Christmas story. I was not going to do it. That's, I just pulled out my Bible, and with everybody there, we do it, and we do it every year. It's the focus has to be Him. And our application today is, the reason is, He's really the only hope we have. He's the only hope of the forevermore that's mentioned. He's the only hope for living in hope and joy, free of struggle. He's the only hope. Nothing else is this hope coming from. So today, as we pray, that's the prayer I want to pray for you and for me, is that this is becomes a story of hope, that you don't see the manger in a way where you see the Christmas season any longer, if you did. And that now you see the baby Jesus filled with hope for us. And so it's a great time of year to pass that message along to others as well. So as we pray, I'm going to pray that we would begin to see this whole story in a whole different light. The Lord is bringing us to. He's showing us how we're to get ready this Advent to celebrate Jesus coming. Would you bow your heads with me? So Father, we thank you and we do give you all glory and honor for you are our God. And Father, we worship you. You alone. We lay down rebellion, struggle, our fight against you if there is one. Why are we doing it? We're not going to win this battle. Lord, you know. And Father, as we acknowledge your greatness, your power, your ability to transform and restore, which is not known on earth except through you. We may think, Lord, that there's a lot of other things that will bring us to this restoration. There is not. Not one that lasts, that's for sure. So, Father, we acknowledge that you bring the transformation, the restoration, and that restoration brings us hope. And Father, we thank you for sending the Lord Jesus, that he would be born as a poor child in a dirty stall, laid in a manger, a trough where animals ate from. Father, we acknowledge there's nothing pretty about this picture. It certainly is not like the pictures we see portrayed of it. But Lord, we know that it's not about the picture. And Lord, we proclaim to you today that it's about the Lord Jesus. That he came to live this life, show us how it could be lived without sin. Father, he came to show us that he was totally reliant on you. He was totally obedient to what you said to do. To the point where this child who had grown up made his way to the cross to be obedient to you. And Father, when he died, the hope of a life in eternity became real for every human. The hope of an eternity. And we could lay down our striving because, Lord Jesus, you made the way for us to be with you forever and forever. That's our hope. So, Father, we give you all honor and glory. And, Lord, I pray for those listening today that their hope would now turn to you. 
to the Lord Jesus that this very day, as you listen to this message, this very day would be the day you would turn your life over. Finally, once and for all, give it to him. Receive the hope, the salvation, the joy that he's promising to you and the strength to live the life that he wants you to live. So, Father, we give you all honor. We praise your name for your greatness, your goodness, that you've never given up on us, that you offer us over and over and over again restoration, the hope of change through the power of your Spirit that Jesus sent when he went back to you, Father. We give you all glory, and we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. A blessing for you. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. Father, bless these people, everyone listening now and whenever. Fill them with your peace. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you were moved by today's message, that was the Holy Spirit wooing you to himself. God created the entire universe so that he could be in relationship with us, so that he could be in relationship with you. His son came to the earth. Though he was completely without sin, he died the death of a sinner, took all of our sins upon himself, and was resurrected so that we could have eternal life. All we need to do is accept what he did for us. You can find out more at westchesterchapel.org forward slash salvation. But why not pray with me right now? Lord Jesus, thank you for suffering and dying for me. Thank you that your death atoned for everything that I've done to separate me from you. I pray that you would forgive me of my sins, wash me clean, and Holy Spirit, come into my life and empower me to live for you. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, we'd love to know about it. Please send an email to info at westchesterchapel.org. Now, our website is under construction right now, so these links may or may not work, but if you go to westchesterchapel.blogspot.com, in the right-hand column, you'll see an article on salvation and a way to get in touch there. If you live in or near Westchester County, we hope you'll join us. Find out when we're meeting at westchesterchapel.org. Again, that website may be under construction, but be patient with us. Also, if you're outside of the area, you can join us on Zoom, and that info will be there as well. But we do encourage you to get plugged into a local body of Christ-centered, Bible-believing Christians. Lord bless you.